Good? Awesome. Well, the first service had a lot more energy. How are we doing? We're good? We're good? Well, hey, my name is Mojo. I have the privilege to serve as the high school pastor here on staff. It is good to be with you guys. Hey, hi, high schoolers. It's good to see you. Um, man, what a joy. What a joy, honor, privilege it is to be here together on this Sunday morning. Um, we're in a series called Psalms by the Numbers, and today we get to look at Psalm chapter 42. And before we dive into it, um, we've been given little tidbits that are called nice to know. Um, and so for today, the nice to know is the Psalms were written by many authors, not just David, but at least seven other authors are attributed uh, by name having written the Psalms. And then we have somewhere around 48 to 50 Psalms that were written anonymously. So uh, just nice to know. Um, and one of the psalms, or the psalm we're actually looking at today, is written by uh, these people called the Korahites, or you might say in your Bible, the sons of Korah. And what we know about them is referenced uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 19, as the people who would go out uh, before the Israelites as they readied for battle, and they would lift their voices to praise the name of the Lord. And so as the troops are getting ready um, to go on this conquest or go into this battle, the Korahites go before they praise the Lord, and then uh, we see God come through in the Valley of Baraka. So uh, there's your little nice to know. Um, maybe I'll give you a nice to know about me. I am a classically trained violinist of 20 years. I started when I was six years old, um, and my dad was like, do you really want to do this? And I was like, yeah, I really want to do this. And <laughs> I didn't really know what I was getting into. Um, but I've had the privilege of um, you know, winning competitions and playing in front of lots of people, solos, and with orchestras, and things like that. But let me tell you, one of the most special experiences I got was this thing uh, called a master class. And the reason why I bring that up is today you're going to hear me use the word demonstrate. That Psalm 42 demonstrates this, this, and this. And, and what I love about that word demonstrate is that when I was in this master class with, you know, guys like Frank Almond, who plays in the Milwaukee, you know, Philharmonic or Symphony Orchestra or these old legends like Abram Stern, um, they sit and they listen to you play this piece. For me, I think it was the Scherzo Turntel uh, by Pablo de Sarasate. And, and there are people in the audience watching. And so after you've finished, the, 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 the violinist or the, the, the expert will, will say, what if you tried phrasing it this way? What if you adjusted some of what you're doing here? What if you held the bow a little different? Or what if you phrased or nuanced this part because it comes back in this section? And so the coolest part is when they pick up the violin and they say, try it like this. And you say, oh, that's how you do it. Let me try. And so in demonstrating, the expert and the pupil become not just... Uh, someone receiving something from the other, but they become active participants with each other. And the coolest part, too, is that the audience is watching, and so they get to participate as well. It's this lovely dance as people are watching. They're not just sitting, wondering when they should clap when the piece is over, but it is this instructional teaching time. And what we find at the header of, and you might find in your Bibles, is uh, that it's called a mascal. And we don't have the definite definition of it, but... Uh, that word is derived from a word tied to wisdom, and, and it can mean enlightenment, or it could be tied to a truth about God. 
And so in that, this psalm is here to demonstrate, it is here to teach us something. So in that, why don't we dive in to the word and read chapter 42. Uh, As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are, you down, oh, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep, At the thunder of your cataracts, all your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully? Because the enemy oppresses me. As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. And this is the word of the Lord for us today. And so as we dive right in uh, off the bat, Psalm 42 demonstrates someone dealing honestly with their feelings of doubt, insecurity, and sorrow. And if you look over here at this table, you'll find a couple heavy things. And we're going to call this weight feelings, okay? And we'll get back to this later, but we're going to label this thing feelings. And these feelings of doubt, insecurity, and sorrow are catalyzed by this question that we find in verse 3. It says, my tears have been my food day and night. When I go to bed, I am mourning, I am sorrowful, while people say to me continually, where is your God? Where is your God? In a culture where idol worship is prevalent, and and these wooden or cast objects are worshipped, Where is your God? My crops are doing great, but yours aren't. Where is your God? Where is this invisible God that lives in this tabernacle that you don't even really get to see? Where is your God? For us in today's culture, maybe you perceive that question in society, or maybe you perceive that question in the workplace. Maybe you perceive that question at school. Maybe you perceive that question just as you walk around. My family is great. I don't need God, but where is your God? I remember walking around in high school somewhat embarrassed to be a Christian because I didn't know. Where is your God? Where is God? And so what we find here is a psalmist honestly dealing with those feelings of doubt, insecurity, and sorrow when it feels like good guys finish last or, or, and it doesn't seem fair or right, we find that the psalmist in verse 5 states things for what they are, but doesn't cross over into destructive lines of thought or destructive behaviors. Oftentimes, when we allow ourselves to go there and say, man, this is how I'm feeling. I'm, ah, 
my soul, why are you cast down? It can be easy to point the finger and say, it's because of this person and what they said. Aren't they the worst? I don't like this about them. I don't like that about them. Or it can be easy to say, it's not my fault. It's their fault. It's, it, it can be easy to further solidify yourself as a victim and say, it's not, I'm here because of other people. My sorrow, my doubt, my insecurity is because of you and to place the blame. But the psalmist takes a look at his heart, states it for what it is, and acknowledges it right there, then and there. If you look at verse five with me, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? And we jump, my soul is cast down within me. That's, it is what it is, my soul is cast down. I, I can't help it, that's how I feel. That's what's going on in the moment. But you don't see him turn around and say, God, this is your fault or this is everyone else's fault. The people around me asking me, where is your God? This is their fault. You find the psalmist stating the state of his heart the way it is, but not spiraling down into destructive behavior. If you look at verse nine, it says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully? Because the enemy oppresses me, but he doesn't go to God, you don't exist. God, you're not there for me. The question is not, God, you don't exist. Where are you? The question is, God, where are you? Why have you forgotten me? It acknowledges the truth that God is still there. And what's been really cool for me as I've come on staff as the high school pastor is watching our high school students wrestle and struggle with, how do I express the state of my heart when something either I've done or on the outside and circumstances press in on me and I'm unsettled. I am disquieted. How do I express what I feel, my frustration? Maybe it's with a friend or uh, maybe, you know, you got your phone taken away for doing something. I don't know. But how do you express that while also staying true to who Christ has called you to be? How do you be open, raw, and vulnerable, but at the same time hold dearly to what God tells you about himself and what he tells you about you? It's been so fun to watch as high schoolers try to express themselves in that way. And so as we look at the way the psalmist holds their feelings, we also find that they hold something equally as weighty at the same time time. And so we find that Psalm 42 demonstrates someone who holds the truth and their feelings together when they seem far apart. The second weight right here, we're going to call truth. And we're going to get back to that a little later. But when the truth of what God, who God says he is and who he says you are and your feelings align, it is so easy to hold them together because they coincide, because you're at a camp high, because Everything feels good, but when your feelings and when you're downcast feel like they're on this side of the room and the truth of who God says you are and who he says he is seems even further the other way, it can tend to be difficult to hold the two in conjunction 
together, oftentimes we can find ourselves either spiraling down and saying, man, this, 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 this really, this is hard, or we can just suppress it all and just pretend it doesn't exist. But at the same time, what we find is that Psalm 42 demonstrates someone who holds the truth and their feelings together, even when they seem far apart. Our students, some, uh, 29 of our high school students went to Hume, San Diego two weeks ago and had profound experiences with God's essence and character. And in that, it is easy to hold the truth and easy to hold your emotions together. Because you have this it's awesome experience, this camp high. Maybe it was a men's retreat or a women's retreat. And you're having profound experiences with God's character and his essence. And so in that, you're like, yes, God is great. I love this. I'm going to read my Bible every day. Da, da, da. The question, where is your God, is so easy to answer in that moment. But when you come back and you perceive that question or it's asked directly to you, where is your God here amidst the distractions, amidst the hustle and bustle, amidst work and dropping your kids off? and getting them back, and arguing because someone didn't take out the trash, this or that. The question, where is your God? can cut straight to the heart. Oftentimes, rationale can fail to penetrate our train of thought in the heat of the moment, but the psalmist shows us what that looks like. If we go to verse 5 again, it says this, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help, my God. Hope in God, for I shall. That word shall is so important because it's the psalmist's admission that I'm not there yet. I'm not there to praise you. I'm not there to, to, to say that I fully believe or I understand or I'm there with you, God. But I know the truth. The truth is that I shall be there. The truth is that you are here for me. So in this current state of despair or sorrow or insecurity or doubts, I'm not there, but I know I will be. So I shall praise you again, my God and my help. And we see the psalmist hold their feelings and the truth in tension, but together at the same time. The word shall indicates that the psalmist is being grounded in truth. And so, as we climax, as we look for the answer to where is your God in the text, we find ourselves in verse 8, this culmination of sorrow and reality and truth. It says this, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to God, the God of my life. If you recall early Israelite history, God led his people, it says, by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. A visual representation to the Israelites to say, trust me in my direction. Trust me that I'm taking you where you should go. It might not make sense to you, but I'm here. And here's a little piece. I'm here. I'm here. And so when you read this, it says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. There's your answer to where is your God? Where is your God? He's with me by day, steadfast, never wavering, and he's with me at night, singing his song over me. And the psalmist holds to this just as much as he holds to those feelings of insecurity, doubt, and sorrow. And so to... to, to demonstrate that to you visually. I'm going to ask Britt to come up. He's been on vacation, so he should be really fresh, young and spry, right? And um, 
This right here is an easy curl bar, right? 15 pounds, pretty easy, right? And Britt, I'm going to ask you to hold this. I told, I told you to stretch. Cindy, he's not going to get hurt, I promise. So we called this, we, we, we called this weight feelings. And oftentimes we can either exercise this a lot or we can suppress it and pretend it doesn't exist. But oftentimes we can exercise in a manner like this. Very one-sided. Britt, why don't you just try curling that up for us? I mean, you can do it. I know you can. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, you should go back to school. Uh, no, I'm kidding. It's doable. It's absolutely doable. But it's uneven. And after a while, this is the only arm that'll get exercised. This is the only arm that'll get used. And that'll be the only way that your body knows how to deal with the weight of your feelings. But what if you evenly weight it on the other side? What we find here is the psalmist holding these two in tension. Hey, why don't you, can you, can you, can you do that? <laughs> 250? 251? Yeah? I don't know. 357? All right, this is elder abuse now. <laughs> why don't you put that down? Give Britt a hand, yeah? You can take it out of my paycheck. But what we find in that illustration is both the truth and your feelings held at the same time. In conjunction together, let both press in on you. Look at the text and see the psalmist does not abandon God. He does not abandon his belief that God is there for him. He allows it to press in on him and make sense of his feelings, and in that we find ourselves in verse 8. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. Yes, the question is all around me, where is your God? But I know God is here. It doesn't diminish your feelings. It doesn't make them less valid, but it gives us a lens to understand and discern where God is in the midst of it. How does the psalmist get to verse 8? How do we get here? Let's take, it, take one step back and look at verse 4. It says this, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God. If we look a little further, it says this, My soul, in verse 5, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. The psalmist places himself in moments to remember the concrete truths about who God is. The times maybe when truth and emotion aligned and they felt easy and light. Maybe instead of 25 pounds, it felt like two and a half pounders. But the psalmist recalls and places himself in memory. Remember this time when this was true and you felt this way about it. Remember on Wednesday night, two weeks ago, high schoolers who were at Hume, when you rededicated your life to Christ. That moment was so real. It's not fake. It's so real. I can remember in August, the first week of August in 2005, at my first high school summer camp, sitting on the grass at this park called Westgate Landing on Thursday at 8 a.m., and it's a three-hour solo quiet time that they have us do as high school campers. 
And I can remember this college-ruled notebook with a purple cover. I'm writing with a blue pen. I tell myself, I don't want to be where I am next year when I open this again and I journal here next year at camp. God, I want our relationship to be different. When I open this up, I want to be somewhere else. I want you and I to have a relationship that isn't the same. When I open this up, I don't want to be in the same place I am right now. If you closed your eyes, where is your Mount Mazar? Where is the land of Jordan? Where is the procession that you used to lead and be with? Where is that place for you? Place yourself there and remember the truth. And as he remembers that, it allows him to hold both at the same time. And mind you, this psalm was meant to be publicly sung, meant to be read together as a group or a congregation or two people. I don't know about you, but I've written down some nasty thoughts and vented some really horrible things in journals before, and I have legitimately burned them. I have legitimately thrown them away or thrown them in the shredder because I'll read it again, I'm so embarrassed. Or I'm so, I can't believe that I, I would write something like that. So I'm like, if I die and someone you know, goes through all my stuff and reads this, I'm done for. So I'm gonna, <laughs> I legitimately have burned journals thinking about, or ripped out pages and shredded them just thinking, ah oh, man, if someone read this, oh boy. But the psalmist know that this is gonna be sung. And they take the time to teach us Maybe this is what it looks like for us to be vulnerable, but also be true to who God has created us to be. Maybe this is what it's like for me to share my life with somebody when maybe my emotions and the truth aren't coming together, and it's not so easy to hold. And so with that, there's a song uh, that I've asked Ben Cherry to come out and sing for us. And uh, it puts to song the words of this song. And the lights are going to dim, and we're going to play it real quick. And the words will be up on the screen. And you can say them over yourselves. You can participate. Um, but allow these words to make the psalm uh, come to you maybe in a different way. I think we'll find ourselves in it. I have lost my appetite And a flood is welling up behind my eyes so I eat the tears I cry and if that were not enough they know just the words to cut and tear and prop when they ask me where's your God why are you down Oh, my soul, why so disturbed within me? I can remember when you showed your face to me As a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you And when I behold your glory, you so faithfully like a bed of rest for my fainting flesh 
I am satisfied in you Where I'm standing at the ground It's an inbred feedback loop That brings me down So it's time to lift my brow And remember better days when I love to worship you and all your ways with the sweetest songs of praise. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? I can remember when you showed your grace to me. As a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. And when I survey your splendor, you so faithfully renew like a bed of rest for my fainting flesh. I am satisfied in you. Let my sighs give way to songs that sing about your faithfulness. Let my pain reveal your glory as my only real rest. Let my loss show me all I truly have is you. Cause all I truly have is you Thanks, Ben. Do you hear the words of that song? With that in mind, let me point our attention back a little bit. The psalmist comes to this conclusion in verse 8. We find him holding the truth and his feelings at the same time. But what we see is that maybe not everything is okay, and that's okay. Yes, we have verse 8. By the day, by day the Lord commands a steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. But then he follows that up and says, I say to God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully? Because the enemy oppresses me. Maybe, just maybe, we're not hoping or we're not, we're not supposed to just expect a snap and have everything change in our lives. But maybe, just maybe, the point is to walk in tension with both together and that we're free to do that that it's okay to do that. If we go to verse 2 real quick, um, I feel we could take it one step further. It says this, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? When shall I come and see God face to face? I long to see God as a deer pants 
for streaming streams of flowing water. So my soul pants for you. I want to see you, God. And with the imagery of the living God and the imagery of living water, maybe your mind is drawn to a passage in John chapter 4 with a woman and a well, with Jesus offering something to her. This living water that we find, if we go to verse 10 in John chapter 4, we see Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman says to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And get this, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. The Psalm 42 demonstrates someone who longs for the living God, someone who longs to see God face to face. And what we have in John chapter 4 is this beautiful story of someone seeing God incarnate in flesh, Jesus face to face. And when faced with the question of thirst and quenching that thirst, Jesus offers and invites her to partake from something much different than the physical water that she or us would have thought of. But he offers us and invites us into this relationship with him and offers us living water. So for you and for me, what's quenching your thirst at the moment? What deep well are you drawing from? Maybe you see the success of people around you. Maybe they make more money or this or that. They have a bigger house or this, I don't know, different life stages. And you can, from that, derive the question, where is your God? Maybe someone has it all on social media or on Facebook, and it seems the question can be in your face, where is your God? Maybe high schoolers, it can be, man, I'm just really happy, and I'm smoking weed and drinking alcohol underage and all that stuff. Where is your God? Because I'm good. But we see in the text, Jesus invite us to take from something different and the woman's response is not just for her. It's for you and me. For us to say, sir, God, Jesus, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. As a deer pants for flowing water, so my soul thirsts, my soul longs for you, God, and I can't wait to see you face to face. And in that, Jesus offers us living water. And so the question I'll leave us with as we wrap our time up together is, where is this water coming from? In your soul, what is quenching that thirst? From who, from where is that water coming from? Because I, Jesus is showing us, Jesus is inviting us, Jesus offers us something that not just quenches our thirst, 
allows us to be in relationship with him, allows us to see our feelings for what they are and acknowledges them, allows us to see the truth of who he says he is and who he says we are and hold them at the same time. Let me pray for us. Dear Jesus.